Get your tinfoil hats. No, uh, <laughs> this is a. Uh, uh, Elaine's always like, don't be crazy. And I'm like, I'm not being crazy. I'm not taking stuff from the Lord, Word, Word of God, but with some extra uh, insight. And I think it's appropriate and needed because I think the timing is nothing that's just so random. You know, God's the charge of everything. Um, again, there's no coincidence in, in the Word of God when things happen, when things appear, when we get to know stuff. And really, the, the revelation of this book and, and how it's being applied opens up a lot of things to us. And I'm talking about the book of Enoch. Extra biblical? Yes. Uh, um, should it be in the Bible? I don't think so. And a lot of people don't. But it is the context of their society. And we're going to, hopefully I'll get into to, to more of that. But a context of society means something. There's a lot of things in the scripture that for years we've read through and you're like, they're talking like everybody knows this, but I don't know this. You know, because I, I didn't live then and there. I didn't know what was going on. And there's some of them, things we still don't have answers for. The umum and the thumum. They, they talk about it like, oh, you know what this is. And we're like, uh, we, we guess at the best what those might be that was behind the breastplate where they're able to ask God questions and get answers. We still don't know what it is. But they act, they speak as it is. Oh, you all know what this is. And we don't. There's other areas and there's other times when it says, aren't these things written? Uh, when, on First Kings, we were just there. It says, are not the rest of the Acts of, book of, of Solomon written in the, in the book of Solomon? And we're like, maybe. We don't have that book. We lost it. It's not there. It shouldn't, you know, apparently it shouldn't be in the Bible or we'd have it. But there's a book that tells about things that Solomon did that, that we don't have. Maybe God's like, yeah, you don't need to be get bogged down with that guy. And so we don't have it. Book of Jubilees, Book of Jasher. There's a bunch of other books that the Bible mentions. Some of these we call the biblically endorsed extra-biblical text. Because the Bible says, hey, read these. They'll tell you about stuff. Uh, I think um, others are pseudepigraphas and that they're written in the name of someone else. And that's just a fancy technical name you know, <laughs> by that. But, and that's what Enoch is. It's one of those that gives insight. You know, We looked at some time, things last time about... Uh, some of the stories that the Sadducees brought up with, with Jesus. They, they give this story about a man who has all these brothers and they all die and he has no heir. You know, who's, who's he going to be? Uh, who's going to be his wife in, in the resurrection? Or her, who's going to be her husband in the resurrection? That's taken from a well-known story that they all read and they all knew. You know, that I, I didn't know. I just thought they were making up something. Uh, we have the book, uh, books of the Apocrypha that are in between. Extra biblical books that are out there. But her history, Jesus Christ, you know, they, they tell us about um, Hanukkah. Jesus Christ celebrates Hanukkah. So it's, it's history, it's there. We know about the Maccabees, we know about Antiochus Epiphanes. These are stories that Jesus is ref- references. He talks about the abomination of desolation, which is a type of the Antichrist, and that's found in the Apocrypha that's not in our Bible, but it gives us information about that. Books that we read to inform us. I have Jewish dictionaries, I have Hebrew dictionaries, I have... They're the same thing. I have Greek dictionaries and so that tell us about how they use the words, how they interpret them. I have a dictionary that tells you how people in 1611 interpreted the English words that you and I use. And so I hear a lot of arguments about that from Genesis. Oh, he told them to replenish the earth. That meant that there were people on the world when he made Adam and Eve, and now they are replenishing it because it was there. No, in 1611, that word meant to fill. Whether it was empty or if it had been filled before. I mean, just to fill. He's not telling them to fill again. That's what we think of when we use the word replenish. 1611, it didn't mean that. And so it's nice to have a a dictionary from that time. How did they use these words? Because words change, you know. All of a sudden, the 1980s, all of a sudden, bad became good, right? Hey, I'm bad. You know, I'm bad. You know it. Woo! I'm, I'm not going to dance. But, you know, but, you know, words change. They alter them. They, they do it. And so context is everything. There's stuff that we could talk about today, and sometimes, maybe some of us older people, as we hear kids talk, we're like, I don't know what they're saying. You know, oh, I can't wait to get the new Twitch. And you're like, what? No, that's a game. You know, so we have all these different things that, you know, outside of context, you know, we, we might not know it. And so it's nice to have a book that puts things into context. First Enoch is something that they all had, that they all read, 
It puts a lot of stories into context. And we're going to see, we have some hints, and so I'm going to take you on a a Brian Bible study a little bit tonight. And so we'll go through uh, some of the things that I do to get things ready. But, but, and I took, I'm taking two from this reference where we are as far as where the the angels are sinning with mankind. Um, And we have hints in the, in the text that we were getting at. We, we're really close for not having, and not having read the book of Enoch before, you know, that there was a lot of answers that we could say, here's what I think. From all the other texts that we have, we're able to put it together. Now that you have this, you're like, oh, that just confirms it. And so that's kind of what we're doing tonight. Uh, so the first slide, I want to show you just why this is important today. This is a story I was referencing a few times the last couple of weeks, where the witches, right there, this is off their Facebook page, witches, we need you, a spell to bind Donald Trump and all those that abet him, where they, the witches, are uniting to once a month get together to cast spells against Donald Trump to get him out of the office, and anybody who supports him, anybody who thinks like him, um, next page, I think it says there, um, about the fourth one down, uh, some of the spell. It tells you how all the different ingredients you could get. The purpose is to stop President Trump from harm, to banish him from office. There we go. They're going to do it underneath the crescent moon. You just need some candles and some tarot cards and a bowl of water and salt. These different, you know, they give you the whole PDF that you can download on how to do this spell. Um, there they're calling on him to chant the last one. The lyrics also take aim at the President Trump supporters. Uh, with the lines, bind them in chains, bind their tongues, bind their works, bind their wickedness. You know, they're spiritual warfare on the dark side. You know, it's like well, we, we pray for stuff. Now they are coming out. You know, this has always been in the shadows. It's coming up in mass. I mean, a lot of Hollywood people are involved in these things. And so that's there. I've got to uh, go to the next one. Like, um, there's New York Post, same article, different picture, a little more. I don't know if they can do that, but you know, they, they say that, giving him a headache. Uh, next one. Witches unite to cast binding spell on Trump followers. And so it was a major story covered everywhere. It's not just some weird site that Brian's on. Uh, the next one. Here's a new one. Is the Trump presidency the satanic temple's chance to go mainstream? And there's this picture where they're doing a bloodletting ceremony in New York City, trying to get their powers up where they can go and stop this, that people are rushing to the satanic cult because of, hey, if you're not a Christian, you know, if you're an atheist, here's something with power that you can go towards. And so it's People are getting pointed to that. We have a whole culture of young people um, where to most of us uh, in this room, they're 40s and 50s and older, um, uh, uh, Satan's always the bad guy. Devil's always the bad guy. Vampires are always the bad guy. Monsters are always the bad guys. Now we have a generation to where the vampire's the hunky guy you're in love with. And they've written movie after movie, and book after book after uh, the sparkly vampire that they're all in love with, that they want to be with. Oh, I'll live with him forever. I'll eat of his flesh. He'll drink of my blood. Oh, that all sounds anti-Christish, which it is. And so it's grown up, and now they're all, where do you go? We've had them trained up with casting spells, making the hero with their wands, and fighting these forces, and they're, they're flocking to it. Uh, again, Wiccan's one of the fastest growing religions in our country. And so this is stuff that's on the main front, and we're going to see that it grows even more and more so as... The day draws near. Uh, okay. So, <clears throat> again, this is a little bit of review from last week. This is the opening line of the book of Enoch found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The words of the blessing of Enoch wherewith he blessed the elect and righteous who will be living in the day of tribulation when all the wicked and godless are to be removed. That's the opening statement. This is for the end times. And so I think it's not by coincidence that we have these extra copies. And we found that it was the third most uh, numerous book that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, there in Qumran, and this was important to the, uh, the people of the time, uh, the, uh, the biblical authors in Jesus' day. 
Uh, matter of fact, it unlocks a lot of things that are going on in the New Testament and all the strange and bizarre, but we're not ready for those yet, but uh, we'll get to some of them. But that's just the opening line, for the last days, and hey, we have this book that comes out. Um, next one. Behold, he comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and destroy the, all the ungodly, to convict all flesh of the works of their ungodliness, which they have ungodly committed, and all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Uh, that's quoted by Jude. That's the one time it's exactly quoted in the book of Jude. Uh, we went through last week several of the times where Jesus makes references to it and other things. So it's a book that they referenced. Again, you know, should it be in the Bible? No. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, or, or it would be here. But it's something in the context. We quote movies. We quote sayings you know, all the time that help us put things in context. It was something that they spoke in. You know, it was a term that they knew and understood. All right. That's for speed's sake. So this is Enoch 6. And it came to pass, great art illustrations by Brian, and it came to pass that when the children of men had multiplied in those days, were born unto them the beautiful and comely daughters, and the angels and the children of heaven saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wise from among the children of men and beget us children. It sounds very familiar to Genesis chapter 6, you know, that we have the um, sons of God. It uses the term there, the Benahoth Elohim, the sons of Elohim, who come down. Um, they were called the Watchers. That's what they're doing. They're watching those two people. I drew lines of them watching. That's how my mind thinks. <laughs> they're there. Go to the next one. <coughs> and Sam Jez, who was their leader, who knew this guy, said unto them, I fear that we will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall pay the penalty of a great sin. And they also answered him and said, Let us swear an oath and all bind ourselves by mutual and preclication, well, that word, not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. Then swear they all together and bound themselves. So they make this covenant that they're going to commit this sin as a group because there's something about safety in numbers. And we know how that is, right? Because when the guy goes by you going 80 on the interstate, you're like, cop can't pull us all over. And there's a whole big pack of you, know, they start running that way. Dwayne, I know I'm talking to you. And so, you know, you got that big group. Ah, but sometimes they do get the pack, you know, and so especially God is the ultimate police force. And so it says, and um, all others together with them took unto them wise, each one chose for himself one, and they began to go in unto them and defile themselves with them. So they're crossing the line they weren't supposed to cross. Kinds are supposed to stay together. A lot of this, the book of the law, doesn't come until after the flood. In the book of the law, it lists a lot of things. And it says specifically all these, you don't mix kinds together. You stay in your type, and they stay in that type. We're not supposed to mix animal kinds. We're not supposed to mix plant kinds. We're not supposed to mix even, you know, they even had material. Don't mix the Lindsay and the Wooly they talked about together. Don't, don't do that. Don't mix all these different things because it's a, um, well, because of all this stuff. Because there was a time where they came in and they mixed it all. And God says, I want my kinds to say the kinds. And they came mixing it all together. But what do we do today? We mix things together. We have all this to go. I'm not talking about labradoodles. Those are all dog kind. You know, we can do that. You can play with all that. It's when you take something and you start mixing dog and cat. When you start mixing um, people and pigs, you know, which we've done you know, here in the United States. We've done it before, but we're doing it now uh, legally. And, <clears throat> and it's wrong, making what's called a chimera, where you take multiple kinds and you're mixing it together. You're crossing lines that hadn't been crossed before. For a long time. It was crossed before the flood. God wiped it out. So there's two times in history. And it sounded like it was fantastic. If I had talked like this in the 1980s, you're going to say, yeah, cart brand away. But today we're like, oh, yeah, we do that. Matter of fact, I think it's $700 you can buy the thing, the CRISPR. I think it's called a CRISPR. It's not something you make chips in. It's where you take the DNA and you're able to pull it out. And uh, I heard there's some guys in, in, in the biblical realms that bought them just to show that, hey, for $700 you can buy this where you can take genes, mix it together. Pretty inexpensive. What are we going to get? I don't know. We've all seen Jurassic Park where they take you know, the blood out of a mosquito and they make a, 
they're talking about doing all that with woolly mammoths and all those different things. Uh, because in the um, Genesis history movie we just saw, a bunch of us that saw it, they're talking about, they are finding, they were able to take some of these bones that they say are millions of years old, but we know that are only, what, 5,000 years old. And <clears throat> they're able to soak it in this solution and the skin becomes elastic again. It still has skin on it. Not an impression of skin. It had skin. The guy in the lab was able to soak it in this, take it with tweezers and pull it all around. So they're able to get DNA off these things. It's still there. It's not been millions of years. Uh, they already found that out a few years ago. Even in the Creation Museum exhibit, it talks about this, where they had to move a T-Rex bone. It was too big and heavy. And so they broke it in half, and they broke it in half. It still had red blood cells inside. It's like, that's eh, not millions of years. You know, The dinosaurs didn't live that long ago. And, and so they found those, and they opened it up. And so... You know, it's, it's a, we're in a battle. You know, we have these things that are going on, and the world's trying to mix kinds together. And again, we see it in the news all the time. So they taught them charms. This is the angels, or the, we call them angels again. We said that that's really a bad term. That's a job description for these spiritual beings, the messengers. So these spiritual beings, these, this group is called the watcher class. They were down here to watch. They were then to observe, uh, maybe like a police force, we're not quite sure. But they taught them charms and enchantments, uh, cutting of roots, made them antiquated, antiquated, made them acquainted with plants. Uh, they became pregnant. They bare great giants whose height was 3,000 L's. I don't know what that is. Who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men no longer sustained them, the giants turned against them. And they devoured mankind. Cannibalism was introduced. They began uh, to sin against birds, beasts, reptiles, fish, to devour one another's flesh, to drink blood, vampirism. Uh, then the earth was laid uh, accusation against the lawless ones. Uh, the law has a lot of things. Jewish culture, you don't take the blood. Remember, you drain all the blood. You don't have the blood in there. They're very, God, we go through and you see a lot of these laws that God has in the book of Leviticus is directly opposed to these things. You don't do these things. God says, no, I want you to stay far away from it. It makes a little more sense when you read this and you understand what that they were teaching us, the technology that they were given mankind to make them to sin. Uh, they sinned against the animals. Animals were not afraid. That's a learned thing. It's not until... Uh, and men were, mankind was vegetarian until they were taught this. That doesn't mean God gave us the right to eat, you know, in Genesis um, 11, 9, 11. Uh, after they got off the, off the boat, he put the fear of animals, or fear of men in animals so that they have scattered now, and that um, we could eat meat, so he, he gave us that. Um, but animals not being afraid. Can you imagine? It had been like Snow White, right? And when you go outside, the birds are singing. There's a pretty one. Here, little bird. It'd come over and land. He'd be like, oh, thank you. Well, it would send it off. You'd have had all that. You know, oh, a deer. Oh, look, honey, there's a deer. Come here, deer. And the deer would come over and you all look at it. And you're like, oh, honey, fearfully and wonderfully made. And you could do that with everything and not have been afraid of it. That's what Eden will be like, you know. And so that's or when we get back to paradise in that way. But he put the fear in him. Had to run away. Uh, let's just listen to a recent story about this hidden city, uh, the white city of the monkey god that they found in Honduras. Uh, no man had been in that portion of the jungle for 600 years. And when they helicoptered in to go where they'd taken some laser scope to find the city that was been reclaimed by the jungle, uh, they helicoptered down and all the animals came up to them because they'd never seen people before. All the animals were like, well, none of them were afraid of them. Uh, after about a month, they were. <laughs> because people start shooting them, eating them, and doing everything else. And so, but... They'd lost that fear. And so uh, that's kind of interesting. The next one. So they do this perversion. So Azazel, we're going to remember him. I made his name capitalized there. He taught men to make swords. Men already didn't need to know how to kill each other. Uh, what? Cain took a rock, right? It became an assault rock. Ah, I'm making an assault weapon out of this. <clears throat> Kills his brother. But metal sure lasts longer. 
uh, sharper, do more damage, it's bloodier, it's gory. Taught men to make swords and knives and shields and bless plates. He, he taught them the weapons of war. He taught man war, introduced it to them. Um, man, we make a lot of money out of making those things. We make a lot of money out of making all that technology today. Breastplates made known to them the metals of the earth, the art of working with them, and bracelets and ornaments, adorning yourselves. Um, <clears throat> use of uh, anatomy and the beautifying of the eyelids. He taught them you know, makeup and stuff, and all kinds of costly stones and the coloring tinctures, and he rose much godlessness, and they committed fornication, and they were led astray and became corrupt in their ways. Uh, Simjaz uh, taught enchantments and root cuttings. I think a lot of that's drug and pharmacia stuff. Amorous, uh, the resolving of the enchantments. Bakwell taught astrology. Uh, they worship stars. Cocobel, the constellations. Isaquel, the knowledge of the clouds. Arquel, the signs of the earth. Samzel. The signs of the sun and Sariel, the courses of the moon. And men perished as they cried, and their cry went up to heaven. So they introduced all these different technologies to us. That's, uh, you know, uh, they opened up gates. They, they were made with knowledge and wisdom. They taught men how to use it and use it wrongly. You know, uh, astrology is different than astronomy. Astronomy, you can study the stars. You can watch the moon. That is a good thing. It declares its handiwork. Astrology is different. All of a sudden you start saying these things have influences on you and who they are and you're talking to them. Uh, that's totally different, getting your forecast out of that. Uh, next one. And the Lord said unto the prophet Raphael, or, or so the Lord did said to Raphael, sorry, this isn't a good angel, uh, bind Azazel hand and foot, cast him into darkness, and make an opening in the desert, which is in Dudel, and cast him therein, and place upon him rough and jagged rocks, and cover him with darkness, and let him abide there forever, and cover his face that he might not see light. And so he throws him in this dark pit, and puts him in the, in the rocks. And so, um, so that happens. And so, man, I've never heard of this before. <laughs> this is not there. But I did know some weird things that were in the Bible that were hinted at. So let's go on a study. Uh, <clears throat> well, I'm going to slide off. It says, <laughs> One day a great judgment shall come. They'll be cast in the fire to heal the earth which the angels have corrupted and proclaim the healing of the earth that they may heal the plague. The children of men might not perish through the secret things that the watchers had disclosed and have taught their sons. And the whole earth had been corrupted through the works that they taught by Azazel. Uh, uh, to him ascribe all sin. They're kind of blaming him for sin. I thought it was Satan. Here's another bad guy. But I knew there was something up, right? Because I knew there was portions in the Bible that said that there are angels locked away, but why is Satan still free? And so you've got more than one bad guy out there. Um, it says here in the end, it's all going to be made right. That's part of what Christ does. That's kind of why Christ is a, uh, is a hero, as he is. He's the, the hero. But why he was seen uh, by the Jews is even uh, exciting is that he was born on Noah's birthday. Because Noah was the one who defeats these guys the first time, right? He defeats them by building an ark and God sends a flood so that we are spared. And he wipes all these out. And so they see Noah as this defeater of this dark realm. Jesus Christ is seen as coming as defeating these in this dark realm. And so there's a lot of, of parallels that are going on um, that we miss out some on. But, but we'll see more. Uh, um, they may read, uh, they don't want to go to hell. And so they make requests not to. Um, but he binds them up. I think we get down here, it says that they uh, right about the middle. And when their sons had slain one another, talk about the giants are going to kill one another, they have seen the destruction of the beloved ones. Bind them fast for 70 generations in the valleys of the earth till the day of judgment and their consummation. I think that's, and they're all going to be thrown into the pit. 70 generations. How long is a generation? That's, that's the lot of the debate. How long is that? Is it when one generation starts, the next generation begins? That's 25.5 years. I don't think so. Most of the time we take it out of a lifespan. If it was 75 years, if you bound them for 70 generations, that'd be 5,225 years. 
Eh, we're probably close to around there. That these guys will be bound up and they're going to be let loose again. All of a sudden that makes a lot of things in the book of Revelation make more sense when you have pits that are open, demons coming out, going out and plaguing mankind with all kinds of hellish, hellish stuff. Is this good to get? Maybe. Uh, and so there's a lot of numbers you can work on that. If there's 65 as a generation, it's 4,550 years. And there's some interesting numbers there that we're going to have time for tonight. But we'll go to the next one. All right, so um, they do all this. They reprobate, destroy all the spirits of the reprobate, the children of the watchers, which or the giants, uh, because they have wronged mankind, destroy all wrong from the face of the earth. Let every evil work come to an end in the planet. Uh, and, and the plant of righteousness and truth appears. So victory in the end. Why haven't we heard it before? Is the book work of fiction or is it just too supernatural? And so um, next one, now we'll start the Bible study. And so this is a blue letter Bible. This is the app that I use all the time. I use it on my computer, I use it on my phone. Thank you. Um, Leviticus 16, we're told about <coughs> um, um, uh, one, of the, one of the ceremonies for... Uh, I think it's the Day of Atonement, where you have two goats that come forward. One of them you lean on and you symbolize transferring all your sin over. It is killed right then and there, and it is a sin offering. It, it dies in your place. The other one you lean on becomes the scapegoat. You lean on it, and then it just takes all the burden of your sin, and they remove it. They take it far out. It's led by a strong man, a type of Jesus Christ, led into the wilderness. It's taken out <clears throat> far, far into the wilderness where it's never to return. Actually, what they do to make sure that it doesn't return, they take it to this cliff and he kicks it down <laughs> off the cliff so it falls down in the hole and it goes down into the pit. And so it's taken away. Your sin is removed outside the camp. You know, um, That's what happens to us at salvation, right? We repent. We trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saves us, dies in our place, You know, like the scapegoat. Uh, we also have the lamb. We have all, a lot of different types going on. And we have our sin removed from us as far as the east is from the west, right? You know, The verse is about that never to be remembered anymore. So it's sent away. And so, but this is the King James Version, and you might check your version and see what it says. But the other lot is for the scapegoat. It's called the scapegoat. So that's how we read it. That's how the English translations read. But when you click on it, I can go and look and see what it is in the Hebrew. Next one. All right, might zoom in there. So there it tells me on the left lot for the Lord and the other and for the scapegoat. It gives me the strong concordance word. It gives me the Jewish word over there uh, for the Lord, Yehovah. Uh, lot, you know, Galral. For the word scapegoat, it's Azazel. Ooh, that's a coincidence. <laughs> or is it not? So wait a minute. So there's, there's one that's for the Lord, and there's one goat that's for Azazel, or they call this goat Azazel. They send it away. I wonder if maybe they didn't know the definition. Maybe they didn't have the book of Enoch, or they didn't know what was going on and didn't understand it. And so they interpreted a scapegoat for us and didn't put a proper name Azazel in there. So let's go to the next one. Um, so here it defines on it. When I click on that word, it gives me the definition. Uh, removal, which it does. He does take the sin. They put it on him. The strong man takes him out, kicks him into the pit. Or it refers to a goat using a sacrifice. That's what we're talking about. And the second mean dubious. What's that mean? Then he gives us a definition. It means like, yeah, I don't think you can handle what the other definition might be. Or what the other definition might be. Let's, so that's where I go. Oh, you're telling me the meaning's dubious and I shouldn't know it. I'm like Eve at the tree. Oh, I shouldn't know that. I think I want to touch that. And so I go and touch and see what it is. All right, next word. So here's the definition, blah, blah, blah. But it goes down, let's start about the middle there. Um, by this name, I suppose I'd understood there originally some idol to be appeased by sacrifices, Saturn or Mars, which are fallen gods or, uh, uh, that were worshipped in the ancient world. And I think this is a man's interpretation for who this is and what's going on. 
I think his supposition is wrong, but he says, no such idea of this can be admitted by any man who indeed believes in the inspiration of Scripture. God can never mix up idolatrous rites with his own worship. I think this is where he's wrong. He's looking at it wrong. He says, but afterwards, I suppose from the name of idols being often applied to demons, see the book of Enoch. So he knew the book of Enoch. He knew who Azazel was. And he knew what he was. Remember, Azazel one that they put in a pit, that they put sharp rocks on him, and they cast him down there because he taught men how to make the weapons of war. And so he knows who they are, and he's like... Yeah, I just don't like where this is going. He sees it like we're offering one to the Lord and one to Azazel. He's not doing that. He's offering one to the Lord, and one he is removing the sin far from the camp, throwing it into the pit down there with Azazel, saying, Azazel said, here's more sin piled to you. Here's more sin accounted to you because you introduced all this. Men are still dying. Men are still sinning. I am holding you accountable for this. It's not an offering to him. It's more a reminder to him that you're adding sin and that sin's going away from the camp, and I'm going to hide it down here in the sharp rock where you can't get away. Do you like being confined? Would you like having sharp rocks poking on you for all eternity? That's where he is. Um, next one says, The name is Zazel, uh, incorrectly used by the Arabs. It's an evil demon um, is where they put it. And I think it just goes on and on and say, it can't, I, he goes, it can't be this. He's just really wrestling with it. I don't think it is. It can't be. It must not be that. So it does just mean goat. Uh, so I think the next one, we got one other last little place. Again, he's in a, in a desert place uh, where it is. A nice dry place. That'll play into it later. Okay, next one. And so... <clears throat> If you look at the term, well, what's Azazel mean by the definition of the Hebrews? Um, going down prime root, to go away. Oh, whoops. To go away, to go about, to send outside. Well, that makes sense. We're sending it away. That Azazel name would be attributed to sending away. Because he was sent away because of his sin. And then in the ceremony with the, with the goats, one is killed for us. One takes our sin and removes it far away. Again, he's not removing it. He is a symbol of where it goes, outside the camp, down, away, as far as east as was buried. And so the Jewish mind, they understood that. It wasn't like they were making a sacrifice to him. They were saying, he has taken my sin, burying it in a deep, dark pit, never to be remembered. As far as the east is from the west, the other verse is what? Under, under the deepest part of the ocean where no man can retrieve it. I, and I'm down with that, that my sin will never be remembered and taken away. That's what is there, but this guy gets so paranoid that it has something to do with something supernatural. They interpret the word just that, man, just put scapegoat in there, which scapegoat does mean a lot of those things, but we've kind of lost a lot of it, you know, through time. And so there's a lot more meaning to this. There's a whole other backstory that we didn't know so much. Okay. So hints. We had hints about this. Uh, One's in Peter. 2 Peter 2.4 says, For God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. We knew that. I'd read that and I'm like, now here's my thoughts as I read those. What did these angels do that Satan didn't do? Why is Satan still allowed to roam around freely while there are some angels that are cast down into pits, reserved in chains of darkness that don't have the freedom of mobility? What was their sin? I've spent many a year saying, I don't know what they did. I don't know, I don't want to do what they did. And then so, uh, but we didn't have really any answers. Um, Genesis 6, though, if you take it around, I, I had the suspicion, I bet these are the angels that crossed the line that sinned with, with women, you know, that, that took them and then intermixed their seed in with them. And maybe that was it. Uh, cast them down to hell. That's, uh, I've cut it out. It's the word Tartarus or Tartaro uh, in the Greek, used one time in the Bible. The rest of the time that is used, uh, Peter gets it from, uh, Greek culture, uh, which they're speaking Greek, so that makes sense. In the Greek culture, it, it means more we'll get to here in just a minute, but uh, the King James interprets it as the name of the subterranean region where doleful, it's doleful and dark, regarded by the ancient Greeks as the abode of the wicked dead, where they suffered punishment for their evil deeds to answer, uh, 
It, it answers to Gehenna of the Jews. So they're like, it's the deep, dark hell, kind of like Gehenna is for the Jews. Because there's the Sheol, it's the grave. Gehenna is the eternal hell that they'll send forever. Thrust down to Tartarus, uh, to hold captive in Tartarus. Sounds like the place where you put Azazel with the sharp rocks. He's down in there. Matter of fact, the Greek definition, as we read a little bit more here, it'll say, it's as far below hell as earth is below heaven. So it's the deep, deep pit, you know, the, the, the dark spot. Hell's bad enough. It's below that, as far as earth is below Heaven is the Greek definition. Turn to the next one. Uh, Strong's, Tartarus, the deepest abyss, Hades, uh, in, uh, incarcerate of eternal, uh, to in, incarcerate in eternal torment, to cast down to hell. The next one's just the Greek uh, definition. In Greek mythology, Tartarus is the deep abyss that is used as a dungeon of torment and suffering for the wicked and the prison for the Titans. The Titans were the ones that were human and God hybrid. Again, little g-god. So when you had your Hercules, your Zeus, you needed all these guys, the, the offspring, these demigods that were half human, half angel harbor. They thought they were gods. They came down as gods. They were fallen angels. They were spirit beings that interbred, that they're together. And the Greek culture, Peter and them all knew about, and they're like, yeah, that's the place. This is where they went. And so it's shades of the, the gospels or the, the story from, from Genesis, but with a foreign culture's uh, spin on it. You know, they take him, and we have your, your Hercules stories. You have your... Atlas, and you have all those guys, the demigods, and what they were doing. Is there shades of truth in those? Chances are. Yeah, because they became the mighty men, the men of renown, Genesis 6 says. And we still know about them. These are still influencing in our culture today. They're, they're still out there. Uh, Apollo, you know, Achilles. We all talk about, oh, you know, that's your Achilles heel. You know, we all mention these things. That's what these guys were. And this is where the, they were reserved. And even in the Greek culture, they got sent away to this deep, dark pit and paid for for their sins. Tartarus, Peter uses the same one. That's where these angels are. But now it has a little more meaning to us. These are the angels that sin. These are the angels that cross the line. That they are reserved in there for the chains of darkness. Uh, go to the next one. Uh, so the Tartarus, a sunless abyss uh, below Hades, which Zeus imprisoned the Titans, a place of Hades. Uh, the ESV version of Second Peter's down below. It says, "For if God did not spare the angels that sinned, but cast them into hell." and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness uh, to be kept until judgment. That, that, just the whole term, uh, that's kind of how the Greeks always put it, you know, gloomy darkness. It's not just darkness, it's a gloomy, dark, dark place. You don't want to go there, it's the darkest, dark place. I just remember there's another one I didn't put in my notes, but it's in Jude. Let me turn to it. I didn't make a slide for it. Jude references it too. Uh, Jude 6 says, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness unto judgment of the great day. And then he compares it to Sodom and Gomorrah, which we know their sin, that they went outside their kind, you know, they mixed with the wrong kind, and, um, or tried to, and um, he says that this is the are. So there's two places in the New Testament that said that they reserved in change, and so we just get more light on that. It opens it up to us from the book of Enoch. I can't remember where I go next. So the fall experience being... Uh, Beings' uh, name was there, but it was kind of hidden from him. Azazel was there all the time. It had been there, but it had called it um, a scapegoat. And so it kind of just obscured it. Angels in prison is mentioned, but the lesson we learned was obscured because there was too supernatural for us to handle, I think. It's kind of like, yeah, we don't need to know this. A lot of preachers won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. This all sounds bizarre. You know, if you start getting what, what the Greeks were talking about, if you start talking about what uh, the Norse culture mentioned it, pretty much every culture has a giant, the giant story that comes into it. And they all talk about them being reserved, and some of them have a different spin. Which, what time do I have? Uh, I'll get to this at the end then. But um, 
so with that, we know that there are angels that sinned. We know that angels are reserved in chain. Uh, Satan's still alive and well and, and going about. Um, there's some hints about that in Genesis 3.16. He talks about it's the seed war. I will bring enmity between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. You shall bruise his heel. And so uh, if these angels are coming down to these spirit beings and they're able to interbreed, which they were, they made giants, um, there's a whole bunch of judgment on them we haven't even got into yet. But the flood is what wipes them out. That's one of the reasons why God sends the flood. They're being wicked. They're eating everything. They're teaching man wickedness. The world becomes so wicked that God's like, I got to destroy it all. He makes a flood, has Noah's spirit with the ark. And he talks about him being perfect in his gene pool uh, with him and his sons. And they survive the ark. And then he tells him to go and go, return to the original plan. So then the question comes, and I got, remember getting in this argument in the 1990s with people. And they're like, if these, spirit, if these beings were here, then where did they go? It's like, if they're not man, because Jesus Christ, it makes the big point that Jesus Christ did not die for an angel. You know, Hebrews makes that point. He became a man. He died for man. He redeems mankind. Angels don't have redemption. And these beings are half angel, half man. What about them? Where do they go? We had some hints about that too. And these are some things that I might have had some discussions with some of you in the past about who are demons, where they come from, what are they? Uh, <clears throat> Enoch shed some lights on that too. So I think that's where we go next. Now the giants who have been born of the spirit of flesh shall be called upon earth evil spirits. <clears throat> and on earth shall be their habitation. Evil spirits shall proceed from their flesh because they were created from above, from the holy watchers as were the beginning of primary foundation. Evil spirits shall they be upon the earth and the spirits of the wicked shall they be called. And so, oh, they become the ones that are trapped on earth. Uh, they pass themselves off as ghosts. They pass themselves off as, uh, or they're demons, they're evil spirits. They don't have a body. They're, they don't go to heaven. They don't go to hell. They are just, their sentence was to be here on earth. It's like, fine, you're an earth dweller. That's one of their names. The Raphaim is another one. Rapha, the dead ones, uh, is what the Bible calls them. We'll, we'll get to those verses here in a minute. If I keep going fast, we can get it all in. All right, next one. Uh, the spirits of the giants shall be like clouds, which shall oppress, corrupt, fall, Content and bruise upon the earth, they shall cause lamentations, no food shall they eat, and they shall be thirsty. So, most of us have probably seen Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Remember, if you remember the captain, he wanted to be made flesh again so he could taste an apple, so he could drink something, you know, and just as he's getting ready to take the bite, you know, I think Jack Sparrow stops him, ah, and he's a ghost again, and he can't, you know, but this is it, they can't, you know, they have no physical, so they seek embodiment. They want to experience all these things. They are very lustful creatures too, and so that's why they seek possession. They want to take people back. They want to have senses. They want to come into them, but they can't, you know, so they're, that's what demon possession is. So they rise up against the sons of men and against women, and they come forth during the days of slaughter and destruction. They, they, they feed on destruction. They feed on bloodletting. They feed on uh, whenever there's war, whenever there's conflict. Matter of fact, they stir it up. Uh, they like suicide. Why is there such a suicide rate? Why is all these voices that kids are hearing, people are hearing, kill yourself, kill people, mass shootings. I was just answering the voices to do this. They like this stuff. They love blood. They, they were the ones that ate everything, destroyed everything, went after it all. These are seen as evil creatures, and Christ is seen as one who comes back and defeats them. Matter of fact, they're terrified of him when, when, when he comes. Uh, let's go to the next one. It says, and um, as of the death of the giants, wheresoever their spirits depart from their bodies, uh, let their flesh... That's just perishable, be without judgment. So they, they're just in this limbo in a sense. And so it's not mankind, it's these other creatures that have that. Okay, I think I got some fine artwork here. So, <laughs> uh, so there you have your giants. They died in the flood. They went underwater and then their spirit comes up. You know, so they're there. They, they don't go to heaven, they don't go to hell. Even the fish are like, what's going on? All right, next one. Um, so they're kind of in limbo. We have spirits now that can influence people. They can't read your mind. They don't know what you're thinking. Um, but they can influence you. 
Uh, he's really ghostly looking there, but he doesn't go to heaven, doesn't go to hell, so they're trapped on earth. And then we have allusions to this that I already kind of drew these conclusions on from my, my studies in the past. If you open your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 12. And the suspicions from the hints that we had in Scripture was that I bet these were the spirits of those mixed creatures that died in the flood because where they like to hang out. And we had the clues of where they like to hang out. Jesus Christ tells us one, Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verse um, 43. Matthew 12, 43 says, When an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Uh, he goes to dry places. You know what? If you died in a flood and that led you trapped on the earth, you probably don't like water too much. You know? And so they go to the desert. They like the dry and arid places. They like, like to be there. So he goes there. They go to the dry place, verse 44. Then he saith, I will return into my house whence I came out, the possessed person that he was in. And when he comes, he findeth it empty, swept, and clean. This man cleaned up his life. He no longer got involved in the occult, but he did not fill himself with the Holy Spirit. He never got saved. He just straightened up his life. God doesn't want people just to straighten up their life. He wants people, sinners, to repent and trust in him as Savior. So this guy just gets, cleans up his life, quits smoking, quits drinking, quits running around in them. He still um, left a stronghold. The, the, the Spirit could still come in. Verse 43, Then goeth he, and he taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be in that wicked generation. And so comes unto them, and so uh, dry places. So we already kind of had that hint. Look at uh, Psalm 68. David said something too. Psalm 68 and verse 6. <coughs> and again, he's stating stuff that they know and understand that we kind of miss out on, that we're trying to get him caught up to speed. Psalm 68, verse 6 says, God setteth the solitary in families, lonely people. He puts them, puts them around family, people that tend to that. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. The demon, you go to a dry place. Maybe he likes to make them go there because there aren't too many people live in the desert. So maybe God's kind of done that as our benefit. Make them go live in the desert place. I do find it interesting that the Middle East is a very dry and arid place where it seems like there's a lot of activity that goes on. If you look into uh, the United States where you have a lot of these Indian cultures that see these things out in Navajo, out, out in the west, in the dry and the desert areas, you're kind of prone to that. And so just kind of maybe more anecdotal, but you can kind of see it as you study it. Um, uh, here's another one. Look at Matthew 8. And see if this doesn't make more sense now. The story of the deviled ham. Matthew 8. Hmm. This is also in Mark. If you remember, in, uh, we'll look at Matthew 8 since we turn there, but in Mark, if you remember, <clears throat> when he gets to the demoniac guard, Gergazine, he gets there, he's living in uh, uh, tombs, he's living with the dead, he is living a homosexual lifestyle, he is with other people that are like this, they are naked, Uh, they are bound in chains, they cut themselves with rocks, they they destroy the body that they're in, they have super strength that nobody around them, they said they can even break the iron that is in there because he has what? I am legion, I am full of thousands of these demons. And so it's interesting that 
that's a trend today, you know, for kids to cut themselves, that they want this. Well, we have that on Facebook Live, kids that are cutting themselves, kids that are killing themselves while they're streaming Facebook Live. You watch me hang myself, let me get, that they, that they're kind of pushed this way. Again, I think it's these voices that are after him. And so he finds two, verse 28, Matthew um, 8, 28, he finds two, they met him, two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, verse 29, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come to torment us before the time? Like, hey, it's not time to send us away yet. We were trapped on earth, you know. Um, and there was a good way off from them, a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils, you know, these demons, besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. At least let us go there. We want to possess something. We want, we want to smell. We want to feel. We want to taste. We want to be in something. So he's like, Jesus is like, okay, it makes kind of makes us more interesting here because God knows how to get rid of them. So he's like, okay, you can go into the pigs, which was, you know, an unclean animal for them. Um, But look what happened. The pigs know what to do. Verse 32. And when he said unto them, go, then they were come out and they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and they perished in the waters. Drowns them all in the water. Ah, That's how you get rid of them, right? That's how you got rid of them the first time. You drown them all in the water. So Jesus says, oh, you want to go in the pigs? Okay, enjoy your run to the water where they all drown again. And they are reminded yet again that they are flooded. We are trapped here and they have to come out and they're trapped in the water and they go in some dry and arid place. And so we kind of already had this. This is also in Mark 5. So we had hints of this. Look at Isaiah 26. (coughs) Try to get past this one, but... uh... Isaiah 26 talks about them. Isaiah 26, verse 13 says, O Lord our God, other lords besides thee have dominion over us. Uh, we'll get to this verse later. Uh, but thee only will make mention of thy name. Verse 14. They are dead. They shall not live. They are deceased. They shall not rise. No promise of the resurrection. Therefore hast thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memories to perish. Uh, the phrase there, they are the deceased. That is the Rapha. The Raphaim become a tribe of people. You know, if you remember, David fought them. The others fought them. The Valley of the Giants, the Raphaim, the dead ones. That's what Rapha means, the dead ones. These are the dead ones. These are the deceased. Uh, matter of fact, if you look up the definition right there for the Rapha, it means ghosts of the dead, shades, or spirits. That's, this is them. This is those who died in the flood, these are the, these are the deceased ones, the dead ones that are promised no resurrection, the ones who do not have a resurrection. They shall not rise. <clears throat> they don't get a physical body. They don't get any, they, they were wicked. They were evil. They were here. So this is the Raphaim. And, and you can see them that are attributed later, the, the descendants of them. So these are the dead ones, the promise of no resurrection. So we have that alluded to us in, in, in scripture. Look at Job 26. Job 26, he has a little bit of insight. Of course, this is the oldest book, shortly after the flood. He had heard the stories. Job 26 and verse 5 says, Dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. And he's like, hell is naked before them. These are these dead things that are down there. You know, they are formed because of the water, the ones that, that come from that, making allusion to this Rapha. That's the dead ones, the ones that don't have a promise of the resurrection. Um, one more, look at Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 is a familiar text to us, but we often don't read back. Isaiah 14 ends with something that I'll, I'll leave for you, but I know you all cheat ahead and scan, but uh, Isaiah 14 and verse 4, he says, take up a proverb against the king of Babylon. So he's going to say something against the king of Babylon, 
<clears throat> but it's one of these that have a double meaning. You know, I'm talking about him, but I am referencing someone else too. So I keep that in mind. Babylon. How hath the, uh, the oppressor ceased and that golden city ceased? He's talking about the day when it's destroyed. Verse 5. The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He that ruled the nations uh, in anger is persecuted and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Can you imagine the day when all the evil is done, when they are all bound up and they are captive? What a relief that will be. We don't have to battle that anymore. It will be breaking forth into singing. No more oppressor. No one harming the animals, the plants, the people, anything. You know, It's being good. And so it all breaks forth into singing. So this is future. Verse 8. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee and the cedars of Lebanon saying since thou art laid down no feller has come up unto us and we let the trees go verse 9 held from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee hell stirs up at thy coming it stirreth up the dead the Rapha uh, for thee the, the, the Nephilim the dead ones they all begin to stir up they understand that someone is coming so the dead ones uh, they're coming for thee even the chief ones the mighty ones the men of renown of the earth it is raised up from the thrones of the kings of the nations so they know that someone is coming uh, this someone will know his name here in a minute verse 10 and they shall speak and say unto them art thou also, also become weak as we art thou become like unto us? All of a sudden, you're bound up. You're down here now. Your time is over. Verse 11. The pomp is, thy pomp has brought thee to the grave, and the noise of thy voils, the worm is spread under thee, and the worm covers thee. Who is this person that is coming that even hell all takes notice and like he is here and he is being cast deeper and going further to be bound up? Verse 12, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nation? And here he was continuing for God. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Down there lower than Azazel. Verse 16. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms? That made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof? That opened up the house of the prisoners. So it even says that during the millennial reign we'll be able to look down there and we're like, That was him? This was the guy that gave us all the grief? This guy that's down in the pit? Uh, we know he gets loosed out again, but there's a time when he's going to be down there, and these dead ones, the Rapha and the other ones that were on the earth at the time, they all stand aside. They're like, it's about time. The Zazel, it's like, you're the troublemaker. You're going to stir all this up. And so he finally gets cast into the pit. So I found that interesting. We also know that uh, if you look at Revelation 9, there's coming today that we saw that Enoch made reference to. Again, not the Bible, but it seems like he's got a lot of things on par. There's coming a day when the pit will be open for a little while. And he said that these were only bound up for 70 generations. So Revelation 9 verse 1 says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven, or star fall from heaven to the earth. And to him was given to the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as a smoke out of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither is the green thing, so they're not like locust locusts, neither the tree, but only those which have not the seal of God on their foreheads. And so they only go after people. They're not like locusts. They're not the real bugs. These are ones that go after people, and it goes after the lost people, the ones that have the mark of the beast. Verse 5, And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should tor be tormented five months, and their torment was of the torment of a scorpion that striketh a man. And in those days all men shall seek death, and they shall not find it, and they shall desire to die, and the death shall flee from them. 
And the shapes of the locusts are like horses, and it describes them all. And it's like, ah, how these horrible creatures that are there, it's this whole big judgment. So, and they have a king over them, and his name is Apollyon, verse 11. The Greek, Abaddon, the destroyer, that he is there. So they're, they're loosed for a little while. So it's almost, like we said, we keep noticing from the Bible, everything's playing in reverse. You know, that we're going back to where we have all this, that'll end up in Eden, but there's hell on earth first, and before the big final judgment comes. And so... And then ultimately Jesus comes, battles them all, defeats them all, greater than Noah, the one greater prophet of all, defeats all these. He defeats the sin of the angels, he defeats our sin, he defeats the sin of the angels and the corruption and the corruption on the earth. He purges it all, he makes it all right. So Jesus Christ has done all this and he makes it all better. He, he tackles more things than we even thought he was tackling. He's going and he is amending all of this. And so let alone he'll make all of our minds right again. And so I find that pretty fascinating. We got Real quick, I'll make one other reference is that a lot of people wonder why Genesis 6 is even there. It's only four verses that talk about the angels and all. And again, it's an assumed knowledge that they all knew this. And if you go through, like say, Josephus and other historians that, that talk about the Jewish knowledge is that they did know all this. <clears throat> but we have a more specific reason why we think it is there. One, so you and I have any clue about it because it's before the flood times where we don't know much. We're like, I don't know, they lived, they died, they were wicked. And then we're told a little bit, one, because it says that it happened before the flood and also after that. And we saw that in Joshua and other places where they, uh, David had to fight Goliath and uh, let alone, and as he gets older, Goliath's other brothers, you know, Sappy and Old 24 and those other guys that he had to go battle with, the lion-like man of Moab and others that <clears throat> they fought against. But... They lived in a region. They lived in a, in, in, in a section in the culture, uh, and the culture over there had a story, and their story was false. The best way I can liken it, I've spent two weeks thinking, what can I liken that into? You and I live in a culture where evolution is forced upon us, right? It is there. It's everywhere we look. It's in every story. It's every TV show. It's assumed knowledge that we are all evolved from the goo to the zoo to you. You know, we are all made from nothing. You know, that we all come through the animal line. We aim up as monkeys and now we are here. We don't need a God. We are that there. That's the culture in which we live in. And so we have a, a chapter in the Bible that says, nay, nay. Well, we have more than that. But the, the New Testament one that really comes to us, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1. He says, you all know that you were created. You all know that there's a God that's over there. You all know you're going to give accountable to it. But you would rather say you came from an animal. You'd rather worship the create, creature rather than the creator. He says, so, so shame on you. So we have a verse that tells us, like, no, you were made. You are fearfully, wonderfully made, let alone we have Genesis. And so in their culture, the, the prevailing story of their time was that they were all living on the earth and that these beings came down from heaven called the Apkalu. And so there's, yeah, try to spell that one. It took me forever before I finally got the right spelling to be able to research it. <laughs> the Apkalu, and I don't have it for my notes now, so I know I'm writing it wrong. The Apkalu came down, and these were great sage beings that had wisdom. And they taught man culture, and they taught man how to build cities, and they taught man how to do science. They gave man the laws, and they taught them to live into cities, and, and, to, and to huddle together, and make man better, and to put up the wall, and to give us all this technology that really advanced mankind. But one of them went crazy, one of them went rogue, and he destroyed all the world with the flood. And so they interbred with a couple of them so they could leave their legacy behind, and they became their leaders after the flood to do this. And so the prevailing culture that these were good guys came down there, taught them good things that they were supposed to be doing, and that some bad guy came and killed them all. Of 
quite contrary to our story, right? And so it's in Genesis to remind us that, no, these guys who came down, taught bad things, these are the bad guys. This is why the flood came. God says, I had to wipe them all out to set things right again. And so we have four verses in there just to say, no, 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 your culture is wrong. These guys were wicked. They didn't teach a good thing. God didn't want them to live in cities necessarily. He wanted them to go forth and to spread and go over the countryside. You know, it was Cain who builds the city. And so they go forth and do all this. And so they had a whole story there that was in reverse much like our story today, saying you came from animals, not from a creator. And so God puts in there and says, no, you know, here's what was going on. And so because that's preserved for us today, where we have a little more understanding of the wickedness that was going on, the mixing and the mingling and all that, and stuff that we are seeing today that should make our eyes more awake. Um, one other word I want to leave you with to start paying attention to, and it's called convergence, uh, singularity too. It's two different words, buzzwords that are being bandied about. We'll talk more about that later, but as things begin to converge, beginning to move together. Uh, one, one way it's being used is in the Christian culture is that uh, convergence of all the signs. It used to be 1970, we'd get together, Elaine was talking about this the other day, going to Mount Pleasant, and they had a movie the night on Salt II, and mission, you know, the, the Russia had these bombs that was going to be this way, and the fear of Salt II, boy, it sure seems like some prophecies being fulfilled. And then a few years later, we'd have something else, like, oh, we have a technology for this, or we see something, they were able to dam up the Ethiopian River, You're like, oh, that's one of the prophecies of the Bible, they were able to dam that up. Or we had um, Israel back in the nation, boy, there's a prophecy that come, and so we have years where we would talk about these things, but right now they talk about convergence. We have, I could sit here and talk to you about a thousand things tonight that I could go through and give you um, other pictures off my phone. Um, companies are mandating that you have a chip in your hand if you work for them. Uh, earthquakes in diverse places around the world. Meteors hitting the earth at an unprecedented rate and they're beginning to grow and keep going. We have all these different things, diseases, famines, pestilences. We, we can take it all. We can talk about them all together. It seems like instead of here and there all painted together, we have them all converging to one event. And technology, they talk about the convergence of, um, uh, when we were growing up, Dad had a movie camera. Eventually, we had a phone in our house. Um, uh, they, had a, they had a camera camera. Uh, one day, we got an answering machine. You know, we'd leave a message on there. When we had one, when I got married, we had Megan. We are not home. Please leave a message. You know, and so it was, we, we'd play that. You know, and so we'd have to leave a message. You know, I have all that in one device right now. I have a phone, I have the internet, I have it all converged into one device. And the next step is, hey, why carry that around, lose it, drop it in the toilet and anything else? Let's converge it into one, the singularity where man and machine combine. Well, Revelation says something about that too. You know, but that's what's being pushed. Um, again, if you've never researched um, transhumanism, again, they had a party who ran for president. And that's about the mixing and the molding of the man and machine together, converging into one. So just... I want to put that buzzword out there for you so you can start looking at it. They also call it the singularity when mechanical stuff and human, humankind merge together. I think the last story this week was that robots are now growing human skin. Uh, all kinds of other bizarre stuff I won't mention in the next group. But the, but the stuff that they're doing out there that are growing. Think on those things. How about that? <laughs> That's out there. So we had hints and shades of these throughout the scripture. But this just kind of ties them all together. I don't think I have any other pictures. Do. That was the last one. Yeah, so that was it. So I appreciate you coming. There's more we could talk about that what happened after the flood, um, and those things are happening around us too uh, right now. Seventy nations is being mentioned a lot, uh, and so we'll talk more about that, what was going on with the nations, what was going on with who's over the nations, and the spiritual warfare that we have. And so some, some strange things. We live in strange days, that's for sure. And so uh, that's why Hebrews 13 says, you know, that we're not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. We're to get together and talk about this uh, and, and, and just mention it so that we're more aware, so that we're not duped and taken by a lie. 
uh, and so that we have our eyes wide open as we see these things coming, and more excited as we see it coming. Hey, the Lord's coming, and He's chosen us for this day, for this time to proclaim the gospel. So let's make sure we're busy about that too. Let's close in prayer.